0: Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church sermon podcast. I'm Chloe Rogis and I'm on our communications team here at Rolling Hills. As we continue in our series, Engage, today you'll hear from Pastor Nick as he teaches from Ephesians 4. We all have different gifts, skills, and abilities that God's given us. So how can we use those to minister to others and strengthen the body of Christ? Let's jump into today's message and learn more.
1: Good morning. I'm really glad that you guys are here today so i'm typically really good about going for my annual well checks this is a public service announcement that you should go for your annual well checks too um but then 2020 happened i had one on the books doctor's offices started canceling everything and i certainly didn't want to go up in there with all those germs either and so i really went a little longer than a year more like 18 months before i showed back up to the doctor for that well check, finally went and did it a couple of months ago. And I'm always a little bit nervous rounding the corner because when I see him, I know that there's going to be some sort of comment either in the plus side, hey, you're doing great, more often than not in the negative side, you could stand to improve a little bit on the weight gain. But blessed Redeemer, I rounded that corner and there's my doctor and he packed on a few COVID pounds too. So I was feeling, whoo, goodness, goodness. Okay, that was great. I mean, you know, he's doing his best. Okay, so we sit down and I begin to take the two-page handout that they give to men in their 40s. Um, We're in a 40-day series right now called Engage. We're midway through that. I'm about midway through those 40s myself. Okay, so here we go. I'm literally going down the list of columns of all the things that they want you to check yes to or all the things that they want you to check no to and straight up 10 years ago it was just no, 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 and this time I'm having to check a few yeses. Like, I'm getting down there like, do you experience this? Mm, yes. You can't lie on it. You know, I'm a pastor. That'd be kind of weird. Like, and that also would... <laughs> kind of defeat the purpose of going to your doctor every year to make sure that everything's okay. Yes, yes, yes. Like all these yeses are starting to pop up and then of course we have to sit down and have a conversation about, about what they mean in my life and there's some college students that are returning. Welcome back Vanderbilt and Belmont and Lipscomb. We're excited that you guys are here. You won't know what I'm talking about yet but one day they're going to hand you a two-page handout and it's going to have a lot of things on it that may or may not be wrong with you when you're in your 40s. You're going to have to start checking some yeses. Today we're going to talk about a yes box and the one that you you you're you're kind of reluctant to check um, but this one is, is not a yes box that's an, an indication that you're aging it's a yes box that indicates that you're maturing and that you're ready to mature and grow even more. We're going to dive into, as we've continued to look at what it means to be a part of the life of the church, what it continues to mean to be a part of a life of a thriving church, and it's the idea of not only do we jump in and connect and commit in community, but we commit to engage in discipleship, but then also in ministry. What does it mean to be a person who serves? We'll, we'll use as our jumping off point this morning uh, words from Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, and then we'll dive into a little bit of First Corinthians chapter 12. But if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, kind of maybe earmark both of those passages because we'll toggle back and forth between both. Ephesians chapter 4, he gives us kind of an understanding of the workings of the church and what we are to be as a believing people. He says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all, all means all, that's all all means, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so first and foremost, if there was a level of truth that I want us to engage today, if there was a level of understanding about what this passage means in my life and in your life today, it's in your notes and you can follow along. Maybe you like to write words down or type words in or just kind of pay attention to them as they pop across the screen. I want you to know today that who you are is a gift. Like like who you are, how you're wired is the gift. That what we read in these words that it says in 411, So Christ himself gave, make no mistake. If you are in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift, and you yourself are a gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 4, says this, There are different kinds of gifts. That's a good thing. We can't all be the same. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We're going to come back to verse 7. It says, To one in verse 8, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by that same Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. We find that's just wild. And to still another, the interpretation of those tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Like we know that those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those who us had trusted him for the gift of salvation, those of us whose eternity is secure, those of us who recognize that we are in fact wretched, lowly sinners and apart from the goodness of God, we can experience no grace in our lives, but yet in faith, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have crossed a line and said, okay, I'm gonna put my life in his hands and I'm gonna trust him with everything that I am and I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. We know that in that moment, there's an endowment of a gift in our lives. And because you've been given a gift, you are the gift. The pastor that I like to follow, his name is Legan Duncan, and he's a seminary guy and kind of wordy and heady. He says this, the greatest gift that God could give to the church beyond his death and his word. Like like Christ dying for us, clearly the greatest gift. His word for us, clearly the greatest gift. But here it is, (laughs) the greatest gift that God could give outside of his death and his word, is godly men and women who are gifted to serve the church. That idea of give in Ephesians chapter four verse eleven is the Greek word didomi, and it, it's literally the same one that we find in John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then Christ himself has given us gifts and given us to the church to exercise those gifts for specific purposes. Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 8, if we kick it back a little further, he's actually just quoting Psalm 68, and he says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then Paul goes on to say, Well, if, if Jesus ascended, that means that before that he had to actually first descend. So he's saying, Hey, Jesus came to the earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cruel cross, was raised back from the dead, and now he has ascended back to heaven. And in doing so, he gave gifts to his people. So Christ himself gave, he gave gifts he gave you. Like, if you're here and you're a part of this local body of believers, like, we're just wrapping you up with a bow and and giving you to one another because we see you as a gift to this body. He gave your gifts, and he gave my gifts for a purpose. You see, who you are is a gift, and who you are serves a specific joint purpose. Verse 12, it says, so Christ himself gave all the apostles and the teachers and the pastors and everybody here. Why? To equip his people for works of service. Literally two birds with one stone. Like me exercising my gifts in the life of the church is literally supposed to, and I'm sorry on the days that it doesn't, it's supposed to encourage you and equip you and your gifts and spur us all on to use those gifts in acts of service within this body. The idea of equipping in this passage of scripture means to furnish or to make complete. Some of y'all have ordered couches lately and you're waiting a real long time with them because furniture deliveries are delayed. Let me tell you, it's a real big problem right now. But this idea of furnishing something making it complete, filling it up. And it's also the idea of rendering and fixing something that's broken. How many of y'all have ever been a part of a local church where you just identified, y'all, something broke around here. Something's not working right. If you're the first to identify the problem, it may be because God wants to use you as the solution. This is anecdotal. I've not done the study. I can't say that I've conducted the research. I've confirmed this in no way, but in 21 years of vocational ministry, I can tell you that the majority of the time when I hear a complaint about something not going right, it's from someone who's not serving in any way. Typically, the loudest complaints come from the folks who do the absolute least. That's just anecdotal. That's my ideas. It may not be true. We could do a nationwide survey and find out that I am in fact completely wrong, but I don't think so. I don't think so. Who you are serves a purpose in the life of the church. Rick Warren says that people who are believers in Jesus Christ ought to serve in the area of their greatest passion, like something that you're gifted at and something that you're passionate about, but also in the area of your church's greatest need. It may not be your forte, But if it's a need and you're called and equipped by Jesus, you somehow find a way to meet it. Why? Because we're gonna furnish the house. We're gonna complete the work. We're gonna render broken things repaired. And first Corinthians chapter twelve, verse seven says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the what? For the common good. It's for ultimately all of our good, and not only for the good of those people who are here, but the good of those people who are not here. It's literally for all of our good. That, that word common good is literally the Greek word "sumphero." Sometimes I say Greek words just because they're kind of fun to pronounce, "Sumphero," and I think it's kind of fun. It's literally to bring together at the same time. It's cooperation. It's that we're somehow working together to carry with others, to collect, to contribute, to help, and to somehow be profitable. We're literally figuring out ways to serve together for the ultimate common good. So who you are in the life of the church really is a gift, and it literally is to serve a joint purpose. And what it ultimately means is that your gifts and that my gifts, like who we are together, are going to fuel church growth and ensure church effectiveness. It says at the end of verse 12 in Ephesians chapter 4, so that the body of Christ may be built up. That built up is a dual-purpose word. It means, one, that we're encouraged, that we just get to feel good about the work that we're doing, but it also means that we actually grow as a body of believers. It, it, it somehow means that you and I working together. It, it, it fuels our church growth, and we want this church to grow it's not us, like, we'll add third service, we'll add fourth service, we'll go fifth, We'll, we'll build a new building, that's kind of an audacious statement, I have no idea if we would actually build a new building, that takes a whole lot of work and some permitting, like, I don't know what the possibilities would be, but our idea is that this church would grow, and if it's too big for you now, watch out, Because once we all start cooperating with one another and once we all start working together, we're gonna see church growth. And not only that, we're gonna see church effectiveness in our community at communicating the gospel so that people get to know who Jesus is and so that community needs are met and so that globally we make a difference when we, some Pharaoh, work together for the common good. This whole thing is meant to grow. And if it's not growing, it's probably dead. And so we're going to see that happen. The ultimate goal, Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 4, is literally this. The ultimate goal is unity in the faith and the knowledge of Jesus and spiritual maturity. That somehow it's our service that achieves that. When you and I work together for the common good to cooperate and and meet needs and and render things complete, repair broken things, when we cooperate together for the common good, somehow or another, that achieves for us unity in faith and knowledge of Jesus. And somehow it's actually going to mature us in the process. It says in Ephesians 4.13, until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Become mature, attaining to the full measure of Christ that's the goal like that's that's the byproduct of us serving together I don't recall a time and I'm not that old but if you look at my survey at the doctor's office I'm a little older than I look maybe come on can we go yes yes unfortunately yes like but I don't remember a time in my life when the church was not more fractured and more disunited maybe you don't either I don't remember a time in my life when believers were also this disengaged and noncommittal. And so I want you to hear me say this that us serving. You exercising your gifts in the life of a local church is linked to our corporate unity and our expressions of faith and our specific levels of spiritual maturity. So look around, and if the people that are seated near you are not as mature as you would like, the clearest way to get them to do that is not to say grow up, but to serve them in some way as a church, corporately and collectively, we could probably spend a little less time posting about it and arguing about it and a little more serving with in it. What if the key to changing someone's heart and mind isn't persuading them with some impressive argument, but instead performing intentional acts of service? What if the key to us being unified in faith What if the key to us being unified as a church is everybody using their gifts to love God, to to serve others, and to somehow grow this body? I'll say straight off the top of my head that we need six more people to check the yes column for kids ministry this morning. I'll say straight up off the top of my head that we need two two more people to say, yes, a community group can gather in my home every single week right in this area. I'll say right off the top of my head that we need three or four more yeses today, although we've got a packed house on the tech team. Ryan did a great job introducing himself as the person who does the welcome. I promise you if you sign up for the tech team, we will not make you stand on the stage. You actually do get to be behind the scenes. We need some yeses in that column. And the idea of somehow checking yeses in those places, here it's a good thing, not a mark of your age not a mark of your deterioration, it's actually a mark of your maturity and it predicts our future growth. I I read a blog this week from a pastor that I follow. I actually grew up around in Charlotte, North Carolina. His name is Jim White and he blogs twice a week on something called Church and Culture. A lot of the things he said are really educational for me. It's mentoring me from afar. And so I read this. He says, One of the most tragic events in American history occurred in New York City in 1964. Some of y'all were there. No, not in New York, but around in 1964. Okay, a young woman from Queens named Kitty Genovese was stabbed to death. She was chased by an assailant and attacked three times on the street over the course of half an hour. That alone is tragic enough. But it happened while 38 of her neighbors watched from their window. And during the half-hour ordeal, not one of them came to her aid they did not come to her rescue, they did not shout or call for help, they didn't even bother to pick up the phone and call the police. That's shocking for us, right? And we literally start to say, he goes on to say, it's hard for us to imagine. Like, we're thinking, oh, well, that's because it's New York City and that's a scary place, or oh, because that was way back then and people just didn't quite know what to do. It was obviously a one-time ordeal. This is clearly not the norm. And he says, that's where we're wrong, because situations like that have happened over and over again in cities all over. And so two New York uh, psychologists, one from Columbia University and one from NYU, decided that they wanted to dive deeper into what they called the bystander problem. The bystander problem. And so they conducted a fascinating set of experiments and they decided that they would stage a series of emergencies In different kinds of settings and different kinds of people and different kinds of moments and see who would come and help. Here's what they found out. They found out that one single factor determined whether or not people would respond to a need. It was not the severity of the crisis or the degree to which one person screamed or called for help. It wasn't even the characteristics of the people in the experiment. They used young people, old people, um, males, females, all kinds of people. What mattered the most was how many witnesses there were to the event. The more people that were around and present, the less likely anyone was to respond. They did this one experiment where they had a student kind of kind of fake a seizure in this whole uh, scenario. And when there were a lot of students in the room, um, they were about 31% of the time would someone respond and do anything to help. When there was only one or two students in the room, that number jumped up to 85 percent. So the essence of what he says these two psychologists discovered is that when people are in a group, responsibility for taking personal action is diffused, it gets watered down. People assume that someone else will make the call, someone else will report the problem, someone else will respond to the need, or they assume that because nobody else is acting, then the apparent situation isn't really a problem, because if it was, somebody else would have responded. Since no one else is, this must not be a big deal. In the case of Kitty Genovese, the psychologists concluded, and they argued that the whole lesson for us isn't that no one called for help despite the fact that 38 people heard it. It's that no one called for help because 38 people heard it. They even said that if she walked along a lonely street and only one person was there, then she may have survived. So he begins to translate that for the church. He begins to take this really horrific scenario and this really big, broad idea of the bystander problem and and equate that to what happens in the life of the church. There's a lot of people in this room. The assumption is, by everybody in this room, those elementary school kids are taken care of. If there's this many of us in the room, and Nick says we need six more, there's clearly going to be six other people before me that volunteer to respond in this way. But what we know from Scripture what we understand if we continue to chronicle Apostle Paul's words throughout it is that you saying yes to a ministry like that, you saying yes to an opportunity like this, you saying yes in any one of those columns on any one of those lists, it's not about what you say yes to because ultimately it's linked to who you say yes to. He, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And so we make no mistake, who you are is a gift that Christ wants to give, and he, not anybody in here, is the commanding officer expressing to you what that need is and expecting you to respond to it with personal responsibility and ultimately some level of sacrifice. Lisa Turkhurst is a Bible study author and a speaker, and she helps us in a point that we would all get confused in this moment. She says, we must not confuse the command to love, you can insert the word serve, with the disease to please. Because some of y'all are overloaded with yeses in your life, and you say yes to so many things, it precludes you from being able to say yes to anything that we talk about within these walls This whole idea of yes to serve in the life of your local church is not something you do because you're unhealthy and you just say yes to everything. It's actually something that you get to say yes to because you are healthy and because you're growing in Christ. It's a mark of spiritual maturity. And marking yes in any of these columns is an indication that you are growing in health. This morning, we could have highlighted dozens of people in the room and celebrated dozens of great opportunities that people are serving, but at all of our campuses, um, the Franklin campus and the Nolansville campus, and in our brand new soft launch today, Columbia campus, um, they're bringing folks on stage who are serving in some significant way to tell a little portion of their story. So I want to welcome Craig and Jenny Schumann. They're going to kind of come and hang out up here for a second. Craig and Jenny came to us when we were at Belmont University as a, yeah, you can clap for them. I think that's cool. (laughs) Craig and Jenny came to us when we were at Belmont, um, and and I'll give a little brief synopsis of the story. Um, They met and fell in love at Clemson, so there you go. Tigers, right? Yeah. Okay, good job. Okay, so um, they met and fell in love at Clemson and got married. Craig is an engineer, and Jenny was accepted into a PhD program here at Vanderbilt where she's... Um, doing gross things in laboratories. Don't ask. Okay, and because of that, they had to move here, um, and they found the Nashville campus of Rolling Hills at Belmont and um, joined. They became partners and serving in a lot of areas, and so why don't you give these guys an overview of the core team areas that you guys serve in here at Rolling Hills.
0: Okay, Um, so Craig and I both serve with the youth, which is the shirts that we're wearing, so represent the youth. Middle school, high school kids. Middle school, high school. Um, We also actively serve with the First Impressions team as greeters and ushers, and I'm on the C3 team too.
2: And I serve on the A6 team, and I pinch hit for worship team whenever I'm, I'm needed. As a drummer. As a drummer, yeah. Don't ask me to sing, please.
1: (laughs) So, and when these guys reference A6 and C3, some of you guys know that that stands for Acts chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3, Um, and these are basically prayer and care ministry teams in the life of our church. They follow up with prayer requests, they follow up with significant needs in the life of our church, and serve, really just serve the body in really unique ways, and so we're thankful for all the ways that you guys serve. Um, I had a couple more questions, and I wanted to make sure I hit them all. Okay, so in what ways has God impacted your life through serving?
2: Ooh. I mean, there, there are too many ways to count, but I feel like the main way is getting really plugged in with this church. We, it's just one thing to just attend. It's something completely different to dive in headfirst, and so... God's impacted impact my life that way, but also worship requires sacrifice. And so we sacrifice our free time, you know, whatever other things we need to sacrifice to make sure that we're here and serving, and, but God blesses us through that,
0: yeah. And I think for me, one of the main ways that God has blessed me through serving has been that um, my time and my actions are no longer just me, they no longer just affect me, but being plugged in really ties me to God's greater story. Um, the, the big picture of God's work that transcends time and space. And so, um, honestly, I feel much more important and, and much more plugged into God when I'm able to serve.
1: Oh, wow. It's, a, it's an indication of spiritual growth. It's an invitation of personal growth and just relational equity in the community because you guys have a lot of friends here that serve alongside you and that you get to know because of that. Um, you alluded to it just a little bit, the idea of sacrifice. What are just personally for you guys because it may relate to somebody else that's here um, some of the biggest challenges that you face in order to serve.
2: I'm a night person, so waking up early.
1: <laughs> but sacrifice but, of sleep, yeah.
2: But seriously, I mean, uh, can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. Yeah. What are some of the challenges that you guys have to overcome? He's still talking. Attention. Yeah. Attention span. Yes. No. So challenges. Okay. Well, uh, part at the beginning, it was part of you know opening up, saying, "God, where, where do you want us to be used? Do you want us to be used somewhere?" Uh, you know, is this church the right place? And so, the farther in you get, the sacrifices become less and less meaning, meaningful, and the what you get out of it becomes more and more meaningful.
1: Yeah, I love that.
0: I think uh, what you said in the service about saying yes to so many things is really relevant to, to us too. <laughs> um, learning how to say no to some things, even some serving opportunities, so mm-hmm. that the yeses that we give can be more high quality um, was a really big lesson for us. Yeah. Saying no outside of the church too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you guys are a testimony to that because you have served in so many different areas. You served with elementary school kids when we were back at Belmont. In the other building and then saying yes to student ministry effectively meant in that moment kind of saying no to that um and we do love it and i know joel laments it that you're not as available to play drums for both hours but it's because you guys have um just completely committed to the idea of middle school high school kids um, and mentoring them here and as a parent of both a middle schooler and a high schooler i'm super thankful for that and so i just want to thank you guys for the ways that you continue to serve thank you i think One thing that I was really kind of um, thinking through, okay, so Craig and Jenny are young, um, like... Thank you. Yes, way to go. (laughs) They're young and uh, don't yet have kids, and so they're living that young married life, and you just immediately know, okay, well, they don't have as many responsibilities. They're not pulled in so many different directions, and they're super young and healthy, and so you're thinking through. Like, some of you are literally marking down in your head, oh, I know, well, they can serve, and I'm in a different boat. I'm in a different age and stage of life. I check more yeses than you at the doctor's office, Nick. So, like, I've got more situations. I would, if I could, introduce you to a dear friend of mine. Her name is Sarah Izzell. Um, And that little girl is actually my high school student. So you can see how long ago this was. Um, Sarah Izzell um, was, at one point, the oldest person um, in the state of Tennessee, maybe even the country, living with brittle bone disease. Um, And she passed away in her mid 40s, and we celebrated her life well. I want to tell you that she taught both Lily Kate and Nora Blake in the three year old classroom um, at the movie theater (laughs) and uh, at our first Rolling Hills warehouse building in South Franklin. Um, And unless it was a medical reason, which there were many, um, Sarah didn't miss. When the call was issued to our body of believers down in Franklin for people to raise their hands and say yes to check the box of I will go to South Nashville, which eventually became the Nolansville campus of Rolling Hills, Sarah Iselle is one who raised her hand. And she continued serving every single week so incredibly faithfully, never allowing what you and I would deem as a significant limitation to stop her service. In fact, up to 10 days before she went into the hospital and passed away. She was there on Sunday mornings. We helped serve at the Nolansville campus and got to say hey to Sarah before she got sick and before she passed away. Like there really isn't. Like we used to tout her out and she would raise her hand and say, hey Nick, if you need anybody to be on the poster, if you need anybody to say you don't have an excuse, you don't have a reason, she said I'll be that person. Um, and she was. When our kids entered into her classroom at the start of the three-year-old year, year, she didn't just see it as a personal point of ministry to tell those kids about Jesus. She also saw it as a personal call in ministry to tell those kids about people who are different. So we received a letter as moms and dads at the start of that brand new year encouraging us to let our kids, three-year-olds, ask as many questions as they want to ask. Why is Miss Sarah so little? Why is Miss Sarah inside of a chair with wheels? Why does Miss Sarah have a tube in her nose? Why does Miss Sarah's voice sound small? She wanted to be their first point of connection with people who had significant disabilities so that they would grow up their whole life understanding how very important all people really are. Um, and her life was one that was so well lived, and she was connected to and committed to service. Highlight, group link, and the fact that we want you guys to be a part of a community group. She was always in one, and as long as the home had a ramp or no stairs, she was good to go, and so she fellowshiped with those people for all the years that she served at Rolling Hills in significant ways, and many of those people in her group are the ones who served with her on Sundays. It was an incredible impact, but I think she, just like Craig and Jenny, in fact I know she would, would say to us in these exact words that she always got far more out of it than she put in because it blessed her and it grew her. Why do we serve in the life of the church? It's on the back end of your notes. One, to share the load. No one of us can do it all. And we have two services, so it takes double the amount of people serving in those places. Rolling Hills has had kind of this missional mantra for all the years that I've been here. It's the idea of worship one, serve one. Don't just come in to receive. Come in to contribute. It does take every single one of us. First Corinthians 12, 7. You're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each and every single one of us. It takes all of us, to share that load of ministry life in the church. The next one, to spiritually grow. If you want to be growing, you will be at a place when you are serving. Ed Stetzer, another pastor and teacher, says growth leads to service and serving leads to growth. It is deeply connected. I have been in ministerial positions in the life of the church for over 20 years, and I've had numerous conversations with people who've come up to me and says, hey, Pastor Nick, I just, I just don't feel like I'm at a place where I'm growing. I, I don't feel like I'm being invested in. I don't feel like I'm being mentored. I don't feel like I'm really spiritually growing in the life of the church, or I'm really thinking about going and finding another church, and there's tons of them. Nashville's just chocked full, so have at it. There's some great ones out there. I mean, if I wasn't here, I could pick 10 more that I would love to be at today, and in every single one of those situations, I would find the exact same thing to be true. My spiritual growth is as much linked to the ways that I serve as it is the ways that I study. My number one question for people in those moments is not, hey, tell me what Bible study you're in. Tell me what community group you're in. You might want to find another leader, or maybe you want to read another book, or maybe you want to study another curriculum. It's, hey, where are you serving? Hey, let's find you an opportunity where you can serve because your growth is inextricably linked to it. You find me a believer who is growing in their faith, I can guarantee you that there's somebody who's serving. You find me somebody who is serving, I guarantee you they are growing in their faith. And finally, to shine the light of Christ. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. At the end of the day, the reason why you serve is so that you can give glory and so that other people will give glory. So when it comes to sharing the load, will you check the yes box? When it comes to spiritually growing in your own life, will you check the yes box? When it comes to all of us, achieving spiritual maturity in the life of this church and connecting in significant ways and watching this place grow in number and also in effectiveness, will you check the yes box? It's not the one that you check because you're aging. It's the one that you check because you're maturing or because you want to take that next step of spiritual growth and you want to see this thing succeed. God gave you to us. If you're here, God gave you to us. And we want to see you be leveraged for all of the good reasons that he gave you here. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for the opportunity to be in this place and to share this word and to understand the, the powerful ways that it impacts all of us. My, my prayer for everybody in this room is that they would understand the unique ways that you have gifted them to serve and that their growth in this life and their connection to you and their understanding of your word is linked to the ways that they sacrificially serve, to the yeses that they say, because it's you that we're saying yes to, God. Every day and all day of the week, it's you that we're saying yes to. And we do that today to your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening and the ways that you can connect. We're thankful for you.